Welcome everyone, you're listening to the Long Overdue Podcast, a production of the Decatur Public Library in Decatur, Texas. Uh, We are bringing you another quarantine edition of the Long Overdue Podcast, (laughs) uh, featuring a special guest who is joining us uh, remotely today, uh, Fire Chief Nate Mara. Hello, Nate. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me along today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for coming. So I have a few questions, um, but before I I jump into that, um, I wanted to say that I really have enjoyed your daily reports that we're getting on the COVID-19 updates. Oh, thank you. Yeah, they've been really good. And so if anybody is looking for those, they can find them on the City of Decatur website. Is that right? That's right. Yes, Yes. we actually have a, uh, well, you guys know, you helped me uh, put that together a special page there on the City of Decatur website specifically for the COVID-19 continuous data flow. Okay. And then you also have a Facebook page. The City of Decatur Decatur website is decaturtx.org. If you go to .com, you'll find the Chamber of Commerce, not the city. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) decaturtx.org. Thank you. The COVID-19 info page is on the banner. So it's right there, right next to government. Yeah, and I was, I was looking at it also, and, and you can access all of the archived ones as well. So, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I will second what Dawn said. And just thank you so much for, for uh, doing that, Chief. Um, it's been really good information, and it's always been really encouraging to hear how we're doing here. Um, you know, the tone you use and the... The facts you give us, um, it's just been uh, very helpful. I definitely have enjoyed having the local news and your uh, uh, your reports on the situation as opposed to all the stuff that we hear from whatever other media outlets. It's been, um, it's been really great. Thank you yeah, so much. First off, thank you. It's, uh, it, I will caution everyone, don't believe everything that you read on Facebook <laughs> and certainly this is a very historic event for all of us uh, never have I had uh, the information flow so quickly about one specific thing uh, so I just tell everybody be real be real cautious where you gather your information from and, and trust the you know the quality sources that's why when I put these reports together uh, I try to give you uh, right here you know real close to home information and then kind of a more broad look kind of how we fit into the the worldly puzzle, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I also wanted well, to... I know that oh, um, you are relatively new to your position. Um, <laughs> March 1st is when you became the fire chief. Um, yes, and I was wondering how long... I mean, I know there was a little bit lead up to that. You knew you were stepping into that spot. How long... Before, before we started seeing action in our area, have, were you following COVID-19 movement, news, updates, that kind of stuff? Well, you know, it was, it was on the radar for us in the fire and EMS world. Uh, it was the first of the year, but, but it seemed untouchable, you know, for, mm. for the states, if you will. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, it was on the radar, but it was way out uh, as early as January. But okay. uh, the information really started unfolding that first full week in, uh, in March. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I took over as the fire chief March 1st, and it, it almost felt like the world decided to throw me this big party uh, <laughs> um, right here in, in my hometown, Decatur. But, but yeah, that first week is when we really started dialing in and we, okay. we created a document for our troops to, to start following best practices on. And, and that document started off as just a couple of pages. And, and, uh, the, the, the version we released Monday, this past Monday, Monday was 22 pages long. So, wow. Um, yeah. Mm. Nothing like trial by fire, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You, you know, I was the I was the deputy chief in charge of operations uh, for about sixteen months uh, before I became the fire chief. And you know, I joke with the I, I joke with Mike, a retired fire chief. I call him up every now and then and, and gripe at him for the mess that he left me relative to this because <laughs> you prepared me for house fires and car wrecks and and budgets and, and fire stations, you didn't prepare me for a pandemic, you know, shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right out of the gate, too. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of us are in mm-hmm. the same boat. We definitely were not prepared. We've been we're doing a lot of work on an emergency preparedness plan and policies and procedures, and uh, none of the stuff that any of us have looked at included pandemics. So, <laughs> so we're right there. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's the last thing that, that most of us think about. You know, we're very blessed um, in the in the U.S. to have such a tremendous uh, healthcare network, such a tremendous cadre of doctors and resources and medicines, and you know, where everything we have over here truly is state of the art. And and so we get comfortable in that. And uh, you know, the old saying of there, "there's no growth in the comfort zone." It, no one grows when they don't. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Certainly, there was a lot of truth in that, and we were very comfortable with our current health status. So, getting to more direct questions about COVID-19 and and all that, um, Governor Abbott just extended the uh, disaster declaration. Mm -hmm. Do you know how long he extended it for? I didn't see a date. Yeah, I believe I believe it was an extension into the middle of next month. I can tell you. Have that information right here. I believe the, the old one was to expire tomorrow. At, well, tomorrow, April fifteenth. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to extend it thirty days. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so, what does that mean? I know that it means that we can still get aid nationally, but what does it mean for businesses and schools and parks and that kind of stuff locally? Yeah, so obviously at the local level, we won't we won't step out ahead of anything that the governor issues, right? You know, so we we won't go any more stringent or less stringent than than what the governor recommends, basically. So at the local level, it doesn't actually mean just a whole lot today right now and and don't confuse the um disaster declaration extension with the this is one of the things i always caution people on with the his stay-at-home orders right he has some, a series of executive orders there that affect 
how Texans are doing business, how Texans are, are you know being asked to stay home and that sort of thing. The the extending the disaster declaration is really more about funneling funds and making sure that we as a state in terms of emergency preparedness are being taken care of and, and put on that road to recovery. So don't confuse that effort um, that he extended out to the 15th of next month for the stay-at-home orders. I think that's going to be reevaluated on the 30th, and he'll, you know, he'll have to make a decision there about does he want to extend those, uh, those items as well. So do you have any projections, no. any thoughts on, on how that might go? You know, uh, we, in our, out of our office, we follow the, the University of Washington has a uh, projection tool that we use. And I'm going to look at it right here live today and tell you that the most current data down to the second. Uh, so it says, <laughs> in the US, yeah, I know, right? That sounds really high speed. So the, <laughs> Uh, right here on, on the second, uh, we're supposed to be in the peak uh, uh, time of, of co- coronavirus. We, we peaked on April 10th, and we're, we're, we're on what they call the downfall right now. So all that means is um, this university puts all this data together relative to how many hospital beds were available, how many hospital beds were used, and how many we were short, etc. And this is done as across the states so on the 10th we peaked and now we're on the back side of that today we're falling off of that peak and so uh, no major case jumps no major issues relative to uh, icu bed shortages and that sort of thing in texas our our peak day is not until the 26th of, of april so we're behind the rest of the nation in terms of our peak day so i think if I was guessing or projecting, rather, I think Governor Abbott will probably look at that data uh, as one element of how he makes his decision. And so uh, that, that's my that's my best guess. Now, the, the good news with all that is in the state of Texas, um, the, the beds that we're going to need for coronavirus today, right now, on our peak day, is, is 2,800. And the beds that we'll have available is 28,000. Oh, wow. Wow. It's an incredible piece of information because what that tells me and what it, and people that I speak to all over the the region here is that everything you guys are doing in our community in terms of social distancing, staying at home, only going into the public if you need to, that is working. And it shows by our case numbers. We're not overran as a system. Mm -hmm healthcare system. We have plenty of, of beds available. And so those are really good things for us to look at as a community. Uh, and certainly if we're planning, I think that'll play into all of it um, over time. So do I think that we'll open the state back up? I think it's possible. Um, my only fear in, all, in the middle of all that is obviously if, if we prematurely open things back up, you know, I certainly I wouldn't want to see a spike in cases. Mm-hmm. I think that fear is going to linger in the minds of a lot of people that make really tough decisions. Definitely. So um, talking about the number of beds, how many beds per se does um, Wise Health Systems have? Okay, so the question, the question was how many beds does Wise Health System have? Uh, that is 
that's a load. That's kind of a loaded question. They, they have um, a lot of beds, actually. But but here's the thing. So we've transitioned out of elective surgery. So I'm just going to throw mm-hmm. a number out there. Let's say the hospital had a uh, hundred beds available. Okay, mm-hmm. but they they no longer do electives, so they shut down pieces of the hospital. So now they only have say sixty beds available. Well, now they no longer do anything but emergency surgeries, right? Say no, no bariatric surgeries, no specialties. So now let's say they only have 40 beds available. They report that every single day up to the state of Texas. And so we live inside of a trauma service area. So that service area, E as in echo. Mm -hmm. And inside of our service area, there's a, there's about 16 communities, I believe that are in our, in our area. And right now today, the population in, the, in our area is 7.8 million, and there are 13,900 staffed, ready-to-go hospital beds in our area. So if, if, you needed some, if you needed a hospital bed, there's 13,900 to choose from. And there's also uh, 612 ICU beds in that same area, and then over 1,900 ventilators. And so when you ask me how many beds does a hospital have, I can't really give you a an exact answer locally right here today, but mm-hmm. I can tell you that in our region, that's the live number that's reported every single day. Well, I was just going to say, so people could be moved to where the beds are. Uh, yeah, it's possible. It, it's possible. By no means is our hospital at, at any anywhere near capacity. Um, I, obviously, I won't speak for them, but they're reporting to be very stable uh, with, with their situation mm-hmm. in the hospital. So, um, but yeah, I mean, in theory, of course, if someone needed to go to another facility to be taken care of, in theory, absolutely they could. Back to um, the previous information I shared with it, you know, we're only at 10% usage in the whole state right now. So that's, that's tremendous mm-hmm. as, as Texans. Yeah, that's really good. That is great. And I know in, in Decatur, I think we're very fortunate as a rural area to have wise health system right there where we are. Um, because I know there are there are some um, rural hospitals, for example, in um, Central Texas, where any COVID nineteen or presumed COVID nineteen case is being transported to Austin, mm-hmm. and and I know that Wise Health System is prepared for COVID nineteen patients. They have an entire floor um, mm-hmm. that they've dedicated to just those patients. They've got an area in the ICU that they've got ready for that. So people aren't automatically going to have to be transported somewhere. They can be in hospital in in their hometown or in their area. They're not automatically having to go somewhere else. And I think that's pretty amazing for a rural area like we are um, to know that we've got that kind of health care right here. You know, you're, you're spot on. And, and one more piece to that, too, is in the fire and emergency services world, um, we have what's called an EOC, Emergency Operations Center. And mm-hmm. uh, when disaster strikes, in, in, in reaction to that, we often stand up in what we call an EOC, Emergency Operations Center, and that, that gets staffed by all the key players. Well, Wise Health has had their staff for weeks and weeks. And they run their own EOC around the clock, which is devoted to 
handling this COVID crisis, not only in our community, but in the region. So they're doing, they're going, I will say, well above and beyond um, what most hospitals their size would be doing. And I, I am so proud to work with them. Uh, they invite us in uh, every day at lunch for a conference call, you know, to listen in to what their team's doing. They give us, uh, you know, information. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really a great relationship that we share with our hospital. That's great. That is amazing. So in, in looking at that from a different perspective, would we ever potentially be an overflow hospital, like from Fort Worth or Dallas area? You know, I think that possibility is always there. Mm-hmm. Uh, those patients may not necessarily think of driving here on their own, per se. Uh, but I think if we get into a situation where overflow is necessary, you're going to see things like the K. Bailey Hutchinson Center be opened up. Um, you know, the Texas National Guard has mm-hmm. has ready that facility uh, for an overflow or what they call a surge facility. So I, I think I think that would be more likely the case uh, versus folks traveling all the way out here. Now, you know, I will say we our county is fairly large, and a lot of people, um, you know, like say from the north, uh, like Monte County, you know, they may come to us looking for help and treatment uh, simply because they don't have a resource that close. Mm-hmm. But uh, I doubt we get Metroplex overflow. That would surprise me if we did. Okay. So what about the um, the social distancing? And, you know, once the the peak hits and we get on that downside, what, what are you kind of foreseeing for Wise County getting back into opening things? I think people are going to be hesitant to just just immediately jump back into the way things were. I think there's going to be a time where uh, we're all awkward around each other. You know, do I shake your hand? Do I not shake your hand? You know, do not really try to shake my hand. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, you know, we're very much a, a handshake and a hug and a and how's your mom and them type community, you know. So, and I value that tremendously. This being my own thing. Yeah, you, you know what I'm saying, Pat? Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. absolutely. But that's the type of community we are, you know, so I think there's going to be some awkwardness. Uh, as far as businesses, I, I think Texas is, uh, as Texans, we're, we're resilient. You know, the business owners, they're ready to get back to work. They need to get back to work. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they want to have full shops and, and full restaurants and and waiting lines, you know, for their products. And so I think that I think businesses will bounce back. Uh, I just think there's going to be a period of time where everybody's a little awkward, you know, around each other. And, you know, I, I think that'll just take some time to get over. Um, you know, and the other thing, too, is I, I think at some point we'll look back on this and go, wow, that really left a tremendous mark on us, and we learned a lot from that. So I, I kind of mm-hmm. hope that's where we get to sooner mm-hmm. rather than later. Mm-hmm. You know, I was listening to a group of people. Um, it was, oh, good grief, who was it? Um, American Library Association, and um, it might have been, I think it was someone from the CDC, and they were talking about expecting that when people are, you know, when it's okay to be back in public and back in social situations or back in large gatherings, that they may be what what people might even term trauma after mm-hmm. people have experienced this, especially I think those who are close to someone who has been very ill, someone who has passed away due to this, 
they're gonna they're gonna be experiencing not just awkwardness but even a little farther. You know, it'll be trauma. It'll be something that'll be very difficult for them to to make that change back into what we used to do just automatically. So I think we need to be prepared for not pushing anybody, you know, in those kind of situations. I think we've just got to be ready to take things as they come and and not try to make it happen fast, sort of ease out of it the way we sort of eased into it, maybe. Yeah, I think that's a tremendous point. You know, you're absolutely right. A lot of a lot of our community, I mean, we see it, you know, we almost immediately we tighten down our operations daily and, and locking down the fire station and, and locking down their city buildings. That took a while to to get right. people on board. You know, I, I my own my own counterparts across the city and, and Pat, you can vouch for me, thought that we were crazy. <laughs> Right mm-hmm. from the beginning, you know, closing down the yeah. fire station quickly and, and taking those drastic measures. But, you know, like I, I kind of reflect on, we had been watching this kind of off in the distance, you know, as, as something that could be coming. And, and once it arrived, we had to act mm-hmm. quickly. And, and so I guess where I was going with that is it, it took time for people to get on board with what we were saying. Hey, you All absolutely right. need to be taking these measures. So we won't get over it, you know, immediately, but. But I think yeah. uh, I think we'll get over it quicker than uh, people got on board with with some of the best practices. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's really interesting because um, when this first started happening at the beginning of March, um, I think I felt a lot like kind of secure because we're up here in Decatur, and I felt like we were safe, I guess. Um, and then I heard that somebody that worked in Fort Worth as a nurse, had a patient who had COVID-19, and she lives up here. And so then it's like, okay, well, it's a little bit closer than I really realized. And and then I traveled overseas and was in Europe when everything kind of shut down over here. And you think about all those people who had potentially traveled and who are coming back to this area. Um, so... I guess it could, you know, it could get out of hand really quickly if you hadn't shut things down and, you know, all that. Absolutely. So tell us what you had to do for two weeks, John. Oh, yeah, I went into quarantine for two weeks <laughs> when I got back. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that, that you know, I'm sure it was horrible for you at the time, but. But that's that's absolutely what we had to do as a as a nation taking those steps. Yeah, yeah. It was a little scary when you're um, in Poland and you get the message that the president is shutting down the airlines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People coming back into the country. <laughs> I I cannot imagine. So, did you get quarantined at home, or did you get quarantined offsite somewhere? Thankfully, it was when we got back. Um, they hadn't shut. Okay. Yeah, they hadn't shut down um, travel to um, nationals, you know, citizens of the United States. So we were able to get a flight back. Um, it was tough because we had to change our flight arrangements and everything, and everybody was trying to get back. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's like you walk through the airport and it's empty, and it's just a weird feeling. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I bet it's a you know that first weekend after 
after Governor Abbott issued the uh, the stay at home Texas uh, initiative, you know, you drive through town and and on a Saturday in Decatur, Texas, there's always something happening on the square. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Drive across the town square and there's two cars. That was that was reality for a lot of people. I think uh, thinking, you know, we've even heard people tell us that's when I knew, you know, this was a real situation or. This is what made me realize, you know, going to Walmart, for example, and and not having any dry goods or toilet paper or or whatever, that made that person realize, you know, that this is the real deal. Yeah, it's an eye-opener. So Mm -hmm. let me just um, clarify, because I have not checked my sources on this. Um, I was told that Decatur schools are closed... Uh, and they're just doing online um, school f- for the rest of the year, or is that just through the first part of May at this point, and then it'll be reevaluated? I believe it's through the first part of May. Okay, uh, the fourth, I believe, is when they're going to make the decision. And that's what I had thought too. So when somebody mentioned that that. You had closed for the rest of the year. I was I was kind of surprised because I hadn't heard that. Yeah, I, I haven't heard that either. Uh, but that that's another piece of information that's moving really quick. And, and you know, we get those questions all the time. And, and you know, one of the things that we're really good about doing here is just forward that on to the the right person who's going to make that call. But the last I heard, they were they were closing until I believe the fourth, and then they were going to reevaluate. Okay. Uh, so that was the last thing we got from DISD. Yeah, their website still says closed until May 4th, but of course, leaving open the option to extend that based on what happens between now and then. Yeah. Yeah, and they, and they took so, that action early on in, in April. So I, I think everybody is kind of, and I hate to go back to it, but I think everybody's kind of waiting to see what Governor Abbott's going to do. In, in terms of, you know, trying to get the state open back up. So not to be um, like a doomsday or, or anything, but <laughs> I heard, uh, right, I heard um, an economist talking this morning about um, how we need to reopen slowly. And he, he gave the example of an optometrist uh, office um, is not essential right now, so they're closed. But it, you know that's someplace a business that could reopen uh, because there's not as many people there. They can keep social distance easier. But places like movie theaters and those things could take a lot longer to reopen. And it just made me think about our schools and how close those kids are especially high schools when they change classes every day or, you know, every hour. Mm-hmm. So I was just kind of curious. Yeah. So I guess I'm just kind of curious a, what's going to happen in the fall. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of value to that, to that whole thought. And, and you're right. You know, Decatur, as an example, there's uh, 1,100 plus students in the high school and, and I've been there, you know, we're teaching an EMT class, well, we were teaching an EMT class right in the middle of the high school with our firefighters. And uh, 
yeah, they're they're packed in there. At, at when that bell rings, it's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of value in spot. I mean, absolutely. I, I do feel like we need to open slowly. But uh, a couple of things there, you know, that I think as a nation, everybody's being tired of, or getting tired rather of, um, you know, having to, having to sit at home. Everybody's going stir crazy. They got spring fever. You know, the weather's starting to become nicer. Um, the, the beautiful thing about the school system, though, is if we look at historical data on this virus, it doesn't really affect our, our school-age kids. So in terms of having a lot of sick kids, I don't, I don't see that. My fear would be uh, if, if those children, no matter how old they are, if they're carriers of this, right, they, they go to school and they bring, you know, they bring it home to mom and dad who may have some sort of underlying health issue or or simply they just get sick, even if it's not catastrophically sick, they just, you know, are ill with it, you know, it, it will create a, um, a longer recover period for us as a nation. And I do fear that quite a bit, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's a fine line in, in, uh, you know, opening too soon and, and versus, you know, versus not opening at all. I think you got to pick a half medium there. And a, a lot's going to depend on, how we peak, you know, if we peak at not many more cases than we have now, great. Um, but if we peak way up there, I think that'll, that'll be telltale for how we open the, the state back up and in the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and there's, um, they were talking about China that the cases were coming back and they're having a resurgence in the right. virus. Mm-hmm. So even after they've reopened, it's starting to, you know, even though they've kind of opened slowly, they're still having a resurgence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and even though those numbers are a little, you know, are less, not, not quite as drastic, it, it's still going to have an impact, you know. So I think right. the, the one positive through all of this is because Texas is behind everybody basically two weeks, we are getting some better data off of that, you know, so everybody's kind of going through the storm ahead of us and, and we're able to capture a lot more data off of that. And and I say we, I'm, I'm talking about as a healthcare system, um, kind of preparing for these issues and, and preparing for things to be closed or shut down or, or at least adjusted the way things are operating. I think that's all key in how we deal with this and, and the states should be doing the same thing um, individually, you know, looking at others that have already gone through these issues and, and what can we learn, you know, from, okay. from how to deal with those issues. And that's going to be key here. And I think we should look to China, you know, for the same, uh, how are they dealing with the research? You know, wh- to what level is it coming back and how are they handling that? You know, that's, this is all foreign, foreign waters for everyone, you know, so it, it's right. really a challenging thing to get a hold of. Um, so, well, and, and because the number Wait, of cases had gone, us, sorry. sorry, I was just going to say that ahead, the number of cases in China had gone down, and so they're probably a lot more prepared for this resurgence than they were at the beginning. Oh, absolutely, yeah, I agree. With, I agree with that. They, they and they know how to they know how to handle it, right? They know how to isolate a patient. They know how to care for that patient. You know, they know that that patient needs to receive a mask early on and and that there's a potential for these meds that work, you know, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us, Nate, about 
the situation in, in our area with tests available, with how long it takes to get tests back, with any of that kind of thing? Like, how are we doing? How are we situated? Uh, we're, we're good on testing. The So the hospital, Wise Health, has on-site testing. Say if you, if you come through the emergency department, there's on-site testing that can be done there. That testing uh, is vetted by the state and or the CDC. So getting those results okay. take a little bit longer uh, mm-hmm. than than a normal, uh, say, a drive-up in Dallas County might take. Um, but Wyatt also has the drive-through operating over at their Bridgeport campus, and you can you can actually, uh, if you visit Wise Health, uh their Facebook page, you can call the number ahead of time and answer a few pre-screen questions, and they get you through if you meet the criteria. The, the way I understand that is that's 24 to 48 hours on that data, uh, and mm-hmm. then if you're tested in the ED. It's, uh, I think, up to four days is, is where that comes okay. from. Here's the, here's the problem with testing, and it's not it's not just Wise Health. It's not just Wise County. It, it is every county in Texas and every, and every state in the nation. Mm-hmm. There's only so many labs that can process testing data. So, you know, imagine, for example... You know, the library, right? If every single person in the county came to the library today and tried to check out a book, you guys would be overwhelmed. Uh, and so it's right. a very simple concept with these labs. Every Automatically, every every state or every county in a state is trying to use a set number of labs, and it's just not enough. Mm-hmm. And so that creates a backlog, and so that creates delay. And, and so even if they say, yes, you know, we can turn your results around in, in 24 to 48 hours, you know, there's, how long does that sit in the queue? You know, how long is it, is right. it in transit and that sort of thing? So, but but as a county, the, the current data that we saw yesterday uh, evening, it came out around 9 o'clock yesterday evening. Um, 587 tests have been given inside of Wise County. Uh, of those, uh, five, we had five positive cases. 463 were negative. There's a... 111 pending. So those are the those are the ones that got jammed up in the in the queue there. Mm-hmm. And then we have one one case that's been recovered. So hmm. okay. that's that's the latest uh, data that I'm aware of for the county. And all of those tests are available only to people who meet the screening criteria and are showing symptoms. Is that correct? That's correct. If if you go through wise, the Wise Health system, so the hospital, okay. uh, now if you go to, and, and I'm, I won't name drop, but if you just go to a, a local clinic, okay, mm-hmm. and if you meet their criteria in the clinic, they do have access, some clinics, I don't know that all of them do, but I know some clinics have access to testing and, and they may test you, but I'm just not real familiar with what their criteria is. They're they're okay. private, you know, so they they can operate yeah. on their own chain of command, if you will. So they have their own standards to which they test people. Mm-hmm. But they're still reporting data up through the county judge's office. Right. So so those numbers would right. be included five eighty six that I told you about. Okay, and there pro- there probably isn't anybody where any place where you can just walk in and say, 
hey, would you test me and see? No, just no. Just randomly, just. Yeah. The, the problem with that is, and, and I think I told you, Pat, about this early on. People were calling the fire station <laughs> to come test them. <laughs> wow. No. I want to confirm yeah. this right here, right now. No one in this county will drive to your house and swab your nose for coronavirus. <laughs> uh, but the problem with tests in general is that they're very hard to come by. So everybody, mm-hmm. everybody that we are in contact with is using the, the state or the CDC guidelines to pre-screen these people. Uh, people mm-hmm. that they're not wasting a test. And a, and a couple things right. about that. Not only would they be wasting a test, but they, they would actually be putting the patient through quite a bit of uncomfortable, um, an uncomfortable process. It, it's mm-hmm. they, they stick a, a swab basically into your brain stem through oh, your nose. You know, it goes, it, it's way up there. I had, we had one of our uh, first responders locally had to get tested because he was exposed and he told me, he said, Nate, I, I felt like they were tickling my brain with that thing. And oh, my goodness. No, <laughs> that's something that I want to go through. Wow. Okay. Um, that reminds me, when you said nobody is going to come to your door and swab you for coronavirus, talk to, talk to us about scams that have been identified and things that, that people need to be aware of, that this is not the way it works. Um, I think there's some information out there about some of those things. Oh, yes. People people want to prey on the vulnerable population, if, if you will. And uh, one, one of the biggest things was people guaranteeing that that they could, you know, ship you a test and you could you could uh, administer the test by, by, you know, providing some sort of sample and shipping it back to them. Uh, for you know a hundred dollars or, or whatever that that doesn't happen there's there is no such thing uh, folks that are uh, being sold the latest one that I saw was uh, being sold um, a series of vitamins that guarantees that you won't get coronavirus mm. oh I hadn't heard about that one yeah I, we, wow. we actually shipped that to the station uh, just in the last couple of days and from social media, we were trying to we we're trying to make sure that we vetted it out, um, but that nobody is going to sell you the miracle drug, right? Um, for on a first responder level, we, we get hit with it every day. People trying to sell us masks or gloves or goggles or gowns, mm-hmm. and, and but they want us to pay up front, and then we never get the goods. So right. that hasn't to any Decatur um, agencies that I'm aware of, but I know it's happened in the county. A couple of agencies were looking for masks early on, and they got hit for several thousand dollars, and they still don't have their masks. Mm. Wow. Oh, gracious. There's, there's other things out there that, you know, some of the some of the typical um, items that that folks are preying on, the you know, the elderly, right? They... Um, they don't necessarily monitor the same media that we do, or they don't necessarily right. follow them guidelines um, that that someone who's not their age would. And, and they may not have access to certain resources, so people volunteering to, you know, or, or contracting with them to go shopping or something like that, and they're getting taken advantage of. 
uh, mm. take me and that sort of thing. Some some things like that, but not really around. That hasn't really happened around here. But those are just things to watch okay. out for. Well, I know, um, Nate, that you you spoke to the Rotary Club last week, and one of the per- the members who was on that call was a former firefighter, and he made the comment that I thought was so helpful, and that is, from a public safety standpoint, if we do too much, if we put too many things in place to, to try to lower the rates of all this, nobody's ever going to see that except in the negative. They're only going to see, oh, we didn't have so many cases. Why did we do all that? Yeah. And that, that that's, that's when you know you did your job right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that, that's that's so true. And that was that was John Lanier. He's a retired yeah, grandfather, yep. and he's a, I don't mind name dropping John. He's actually a member of, of our fire department here as a liaison oh, to add. Okay. Yeah, he's a great guy. So, uh, yeah, John's right. He's absolutely right. You know, one of the things that I like to say, I actually borrowed this phrase from uh, Cody Powell, who's our Wise County Emergency Management Coordinator. He likes to say that, you know, we're not preparing for a snow day, right? This is not a bad weather day for the kids. You know, if we get that if we get that wrong, oh, well, oops, you know, the weather was wrong. The kids missed a day. No big deal. If we get this wrong, people die, okay? And, and I, I know that's something really, like, harsh, but, um, but that's the reality. You know, if, if we do nothing and people get sick, we're going to be looked down upon as poor decision makers, but if we if we uh, seemingly go overboard, you know, we'll never really know if we did too much, but we will certainly know if we did too little. And and that's just mm-hmm. something that, you know, I, I'm perfectly okay with uh, if the community thinks that their fire chief or their emergency management coordinator uh, overdid it. In this situation, I'm perfectly okay with that. Uh, and, and most mm-hmm. of the time I'm going to be perfectly okay with that because that's our number one charge is to safeguard and protect those that uh, we swore to safeguard and protect. Here we are. Uh-huh. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we get beat up with that pretty regular. Uh, you know, well, uh, people call up and say, "Is this all really necessary?" And you know, you, you just have to you just have to tell them it it absolutely is, and, and here's why we believe it is, and, and you just back that up with data, and and that's all you mm-hmm. can do. Well, and I think that goes back. Well, I was just going to say that goes back to people feeling comfortable because we are in a rural area that we're safer and they mm-hmm. don't realize that cases can come in. You know, people travel, they go to other cities, they work, you know, things happen. Right. Oh, you're absolutely right. Yeah. People, people have, uh, they live under the false sense of security that uh, this is Decatur. You know, nothing's going to happen. And I hope nothing does happen. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not saying that, you know, we're going to have 100 cases tomorrow. But I think people just need to realize that, that you're right. People do travel, you know. people. A lot of folks work out of the county. They, they work over in Denton County or they work in Tarrant County or vice versa. Maybe they live over in Denton or Tarrant County and they travel up here to work. So, you know, if you look at the live map that the state of Texas puts out for us to look at, mm-hmm. the I-35 corridor is the hot spot in Texas. You know, every every right. Town along the corridors has, you know, several dozen cases each, and and so you 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 look at that and you can't help but say, yeah, it's travel related. 
And so I just, that's what we, those that are close to us here at the fire department, the people that call us regularly for information, you know, we just remind them that, you know, this, this thing is aerosolized, right? So it, it travels in the air. So if you travel, it can travel. And that's kind of how we, it's kind of how we look at this. So, I mean, it's, it's certainly very real. I find myself when mm-hmm. I'm at the grocery store, like holding my breath when I walk by somebody. It's like, I don't want to breathe. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, you know that that's kind of one of the things that we talk about with the uh, when we start unwinding, right? Letting go of the social uh, distancing and the, the the in public protective measures. Those are going to be some of the things that you'll catch yourself doing for weeks and weeks and weeks to come. Um, mm-hmm. But that's not a horrible that's not a horrible thing to do. You you know you, if you think about it, the CDC recommended last Monday they they came out with their newest recommendation that. Everyone should be wearing at least a cloth mask or bandana in public. And, and that's really to protect the, the, not necessarily to protect you from, from getting coronavirus, but protect you from spreading it if you had it and didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Right? A lot of us, a lot of us uh, in, the, in this world could, could very well have had it or have it and we don't realize that we do because for the most part, most people are generally healthy, you know, and they don't, they're not sickly and, and that sort of thing. So they may be walking around with it and don't even realize it, you know, but if they inadvertently pass it along to a child with an immune disorder or, or an elderly uh, family member or, or neighbor that has some sort of health complications, they will, they will show the sign, develop and show the signs a lot quicker. So the, the whole purpose behind that mask wearing is to keep you from spreading it if you had it and didn't. Well, that just seems weird to me how so many people could have it and be a carrier and not know it. It's like, how did, how did that happen? It is very mind boggling. You know, we think about that. We, we talk about it here at the fire station all the time because, you know, one of the things that we absolutely can't do is control what our staff does off duty. You know, we can't, I can't tell my guys and girls, you know, you, you cannot go to the store. You, you cannot go to, you know, here or there. I can't tell them that. I can just simply ask them to, you know, exercise good social hygiene and social distancing and all those things. Um, but, yeah, it, it's pretty amazing how how someone could have it and not even know it. And, and that's been documented in firefighters across the world. We, we mm-hmm. see that. So much so that I, I, I listened to a podcast earlier from uh, a battalion commander for the FDNY, and they run fire and EMS up there, very similar to we do in tech that we do in Texas. And he was talking about uh, half of one of his battalions up there has tested positive, and they're still at work with a mask on because of staffing issues. Wow. Yeah, so and that's obviously in Texas that would be unheard of. We we haven't we're nowhere near that and but up there that's what they have to do to keep ambulances and fire trucks in service. So I thought that was yeah. pretty cooling for this the crisis that they have going on up there. Yeah, it it's it's really bad. Mhm. So, uh I did want to mention that you also have a Facebook page, is that right? Or is that the fire department's Facebook page where you do the first responders monthly? Yeah, we do. So Decatur Police Department has their own Facebook page and Decatur Fire Department. Uh, we operate our own Facebook page and we do a first responder monthly 
video. It's where we get a police officer and a firefighter together and talk about trending topics and just things that, you know, come up in the community. And obviously right now it's coronavirus. So did this, did that come out of the coronavirus or were you doing it before? No, we were doing it before uh, Captain Campbell over at the PD. Uh, it was kind of his brainchild. He's got a really awesome relationship with uh, Coach Parks at the Decatur High School, who runs the audiovisual uh, group of students. And uh, they were kind of looking for something to do that was fresh and new. And so that kind of that was kind of the brainchild of it. So we got one recording done, and then uh, we got shut down because of this COVID-19 stuff. And so the next one we just videoed here on our own in the fire station. And I think, I think next month we're looking at going over to the PD uh, for next month. Oh, that's really cool. I've, I watched it and I, I think it's good information for everybody. So. Oh, thank you. We, we are always looking for recommendations. So if anybody has a recommendation or, or something that, you know, Hey, I heard this on, on Facebook. Or I heard this on the news. How does that affect our local fire and police? And shoot that over. We'd love to. We'd love to bring it up. Love to talk about it. That's actually how one of the things that uh, that we talked about on our last video came up is the police department was being flooded with with phone calls wanting to know what type of paperwork folks needed to carry so that every when they got pulled over they would know that they were essential employees. <laughs> And so in our county and, and really in our area of the state, nobody's doing that. Nobody's being pulled over. The PD's confirmed that hundreds of times that they're not pulling people over. You know, if someone questions, the, you know, if you're essential or if you're supposed to be at work, um, it would be because you were breaking the law, and that would be why they're pulling you over, not because you're going about. Right. Okay, so I have one more question. Um, okay. If people were interested in volunteering and helping, do you have a list or, or things that um, people can do? Um, I know that the school that is uh, offering meals for the kids, um, and I know that there's a, a monthly food distribution through Decatur Cares and the church. Mm-hmm. So is there anything else? I mean, how um, would people do that? Well, yeah, those are, those are two awesome ones. Uh, volunteering with the school district, of course, and then Decatur Cares. Um, I actually just shared that, that uh, announcement about Friday's uh, extra food pantry day being opened up on my own personal social media. Um, <clears throat> as far as volunteering through fire and police, Captain uh, Campbell and I have talked a lot about that and, and right now, when we're in the middle of this pandemic, we, we have shut down all of our volunteer activities because we don't want to bring, you know, some uh, person off the street or, or a, a citizen into one of our buildings and accidentally, you know, get them exposed to, to some sort of sickness. So during this time, we've kind of shut all that off. But as soon as we get the green light to be social again, we do a, a an adult fire camp where uh, we take about a dozen or so uh, adults through a day in the life of being a firefighter, and they learn everything about prevention and how we kind of how we operate in the nine one one mode, and then kind of how station life is and that sort of thing. The PD also does a uh, citizens police academy, 
So uh, that's several weeks long, and that would be their version of uh, how people begin to volunteer. And then they have a ride-out program that you can continue. We, we do the exact same thing. So uh, those avenues exist, but right now we're, as far as our agencies goes, we're really locked down in terms of letting outsiders in, okay. just for health and wellness. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any, any final words of wisdom for us about where we are and what we can do to just stay safe as we go forward with this, Nate? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll share a few things with you. Just a, a shameless plug here. Uh, it's, it's National Telecommunicators Week, and I, I want to I shout out to all of our dispatchers that, that answer those 911 calls. And, and in saying that, Here's my plug, right? Remember, if you guys are out there listening to this, 911 is for a true emergency, right? A difficulty breathing, uh, cardiac arrest, uh, some, somebody has an allergic reaction to something, uh, some sort of crime is happening in front of you, house fires, things like that. Just want to remind everybody, no one's going to show up after you call 911 and check you for coronavirus. <laughs> we're making that real clear uh, but, but also thank you to our dispatchers uh, those men and women work very hard uh, and, and rarely do they get the appreciation and the credit that uh, that they deserve so shout out to them and and to our citizens my, the final thing I, I would say relative to, to this podcast and to, and to coronavirus is just hang in there you're, you're doing great um our community is a strong community. Uh, we, we appreciate the love and support that you show the fire police and EMS agencies, and uh, and we appreciate you you staying home and not crowding the stores and and just hang in there. This thing's it will end. Uh, this this virus will go away, and and we will be we will come back stronger as a as a county as a city. Um, and, and, and as a state than we were ever before, but we'll be in recovery for a while. So but just hang in there. Everybody's doing great. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. I want to say one last thing, Nate, regarding those updates that you give. I love how at the end you always say, be calm, don't pick, we'll all get through this. <laughs> so I really appreciate just your message, your consistent message, just, be calm. We'll get through this. Just that, well, I mean, <laughs> thank you, Pat. I appreciate it. And that's so true. We will get through this, and, and we do need to be calm. It, it's very simple, the way we approach this. And, and uh, you, you know, I just you just got to take it one day at a time and, and be calm. That's all we can do. Mm-hmm. Wash your hands. And wash your hands. <laughs> <laughs> and don't touch your face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for your time today. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. I had a great time. And if you guys think of any questions, uh, reach out to me, Pat. You've got my email address. Or you can find mm-hmm. us on Facebook or Twitter. And uh, just reach out. We'd love to We'd love to talk to you. With the, and at some point, we'd love to have you up for a visit. But uh, after this coronavirus goes away. Sure. Okay. It'd be great to right. to thank maybe you. do. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks everybody. Yeah. Uh-huh. Thank you. Bye. Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, be safe out there. Um, and a big another big thanks to Nate for for joining us today and all the information he was able to share with us. Uh, it's been the long overdue podcast.